0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org.
1: Oh, good morning everybody. It's really good to see your faces, or at least your names if I don't see your faces. Some of you I've seen in the zendo this week, when we, or the week before we went on uh, interim, Um, but some of you I haven't seen for over three months now, so it's, uh, heartening to see us going forward into the new year. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about my recent trip to, my recent stay in Tassahara. Um, it was, uh, hard distilling it and getting, um, getting something organized out of so many things I could say. Um, I'm gonna start off with a, a quote from Norman Fisher. He says, the monastic life is strong. It involves dedication and total participation. There are no breaks, no hiding places, and no profane moments. I read a wonderful essay by Norman Fisher that had a lot of information about monasticism and, and what it meant to Dogen, and I loved it so much, it clarified so many things for me that I kind of organized my talk a, a little bit around it, at least I'm going to pepper my talk with a lot of quotes from, from Norman. Uh, so you know, if I forget to uh, you know, uh, credit him, it will be Norman Fisher that, that said the quote. So on September 12th, I left the San Francisco Zen Center in a van with seven other practice period students. Most of them were people I had never met before. I already liked them enormously though. Three hours later, we started down the treacherous steep 14 miles down into the deep canyon, steep walled canyon that nestles Tassajara. It's funny, they don't call it a canyon, they call it a valley, which strikes me as funny, but I will refer to it as valley because that's what they call it. Because of COVID, we spent uh, two days in masks. We were all tested before we went, we got in vans and before or before we drove down there. And then we spent two days in masks, uh, just kind of keeping a a minimal regular schedule there, doing some work and doing uh, some sitting. And um, it was a time when the new students, which are called the Tongario students, of which I was one, uh, were trained in some of the the, some of the things that we some of the kind of jobs that we were going to be doing for the rest of the practice period. Then after a second test, a second rapid test, uh, we all packed away our masks and never saw them again for 90 days. In effect, we kind of had a 90-day vacation from COVID, which was wonderful. (laughs) Uh, And I'm really surprised to get back and find it's still going on. Um, But, you know, that's the way it is. So besides a vacation from COVID, I was here. I was here to be on a vacation from my karmic self. I think that was my biggest reason for going, you know, to be uh, on vacation from that, that self that's so obsessed with me, my happiness, my loneliness, my fears, my reputation. Wow. a Vacation from that was what I wanted. I also went because I wanted to burn myself up completely, as you know, as Suzuki Roshi is famous for saying. Uh, I wanted to, you know, feel like every moment of my life was directed somewhere that was was important and i also went because i wanted to kind i wanted to delve deeply into soto practice and soto philosophy because as many of you know uh, i was brought up in the rinzai tradition and a lot of the rinzai ideas i was brought up with are still very very uh important to me and a lot of times i feel like i'm a little bit out of sync with the thinking of, of soto people and I mean, even though I've been in this practice now for 20 years, I still don't feel like I totally get it. And so that was another important reason for me to go to Tassahara, to really soak that up. And uh, I will say that in all these endeavors I've mentioned, uh, I, I was satisfied in spades and what I got from, the, from this, uh, this three-month practice period. Uh, And, of course, another reason I went was the reason anybody would want to go is to be, uh, uh, to be in that beauty, the beauty, the physical beauty of the place. It was, it was just awesome. I don't think I've ever seen a sky so blue. We had, most days were sunny, we didn't have much bed, we didn't have much rain. The, the Tasahara can really have trouble problems with rain when it's really bad, and everything will flood. But we didn't have anything like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. The beauty of the place. The those of, I know some some of you maybe maybe many of you have been there at, for um, Sangha Week or for practice period. Some of you have been there for practice period. I know Drew has, and. Um, you know, so you know, I mean it's 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 a beautiful place and it's a very it, it just rubs your nose right up against impermanence because it's this very steep walled canyon. You there's huge boulders. I mean as big as a room in the creek and at the base of the, the cliffs and you know that have come there from landslides and I mean, you know, you know in a hundred years this whole place isn't gonna be there anymore. And um yeah, so to be in that with the, the birds and incredibly beautiful birds there, I just fell in love with acorn woodpeckers and to be with the hot springs and, um, and all the huge tall pines and sycamores, it was, it was, it was beautiful. So I mentioned that the new people were called Tongario students. And I'm not sure that everybody here knows what Tongario is. Usually when the, the idea of a practice period comes up, people ask about Tongario. Um, but if you don't know what that is, it's, uh, it's a kind of a hazing that uh, all people that are new have to go through. And when I say new, I don't mean new to practice. I mean new to doing a practice period at Tassajara. It doesn't matter if you've done a practice period at Green Gulch or you've done practice periods in other monasteries. If you haven't done one at Tassajara before, you have to go through Tangario, which is five days of solid sitting from 520 in the morning until 9 at night. We have three 30-minute breaks after each meal. We eat all our meals, orioki and the zendo. and uh, the, the sitting is uh, it's not formal. There's not kin hand. There's not any bells that are rung. Uh, you, on your own, you can get up when you need to and go outside. You're not even allowed to get up and just stand by your seat, which would have made it a lot easier. you have to go out. So um, out of the room and maybe. Uh, so it's kind of a bigger deal to get up and go out. Uh Tangari was very hard. It was very hard for me. Part of it was because I'm old. I, have, I'm, I can't sit uh, cross-legged anymore. I can only sit on a bench. Uh, I can't even sit on a chair because it hurts my back. So I was kind of locked into one way of sitting. So I don't want to say I had a harder time than everyone else. We all had a hard time with it. I'm going to read you, uh, or I wasn't going to talk about Tongario, because honestly, I couldn't remember it. Somebody I was talking to the other day said, oh, it must be kind of like childbirth, you know, you just can't remember. Yeah, so yeah, five days of childbirth, imagine that. Uh, but then I remembered that uh, I had actually journaled during Tongario, so I have journal entries. So I thought I'd read a few of them just to give you a little bit of feel for uh, my, my personal experience, <laughs> the bloody details. Let me see. I'm just going to read a few of these. I don't... Okay, here's one on September 17th. The end of the second day of Tangario. I thought a layer of skin was going to come off at the end today as I slowly peeled myself from my sitting bench. It was a rough day, but by late afternoon, I think I found some physical peace. I played an extravagant game with breath counting at the sound of the end of the work bell, which I think was at four. We couldn't ever tell what time it was, and so I would, uh, I knew that I breathed about four breaths uh, a minute, so I, when I heard the work bell, and it was four o'clock, I started counting my breath, and uh, then when I heard another bell, I, you know, was, oh, I got that pretty close. Anyway, those kind of games are things that I used to do early in my practice to survive, and I haven't done them for a long time, but Tangario kind of, you know, puts you in survival mode, and anything you can do to just get through it <laughs> becomes uh, becomes important. So that was the explanation of that. Um, let's see, here's end of day three. The food was better. We had to have, we had vegan food um, the whole time because there were vegans in the in our The food is better. The practice is better. Um, I'm seeing how much averse I am to pain. I tried going deeper in the pain today, but my motive was to get rid of it, not to accept it. So it didn't work. Last day of Tongario, we had a monk entering ceremony with a Jundo. Paul's welcoming words to the Tongario students were, congratulations on climbing the high mountain of your own making. I hope you enjoyed the view from the top. I'm not sure I got to the top of the mountain, but I sure enjoyed the fact that Tangario was over. I wrote, a, I wrote a little description of what it was like to sit in Tangario for me. I said, it was like kneeling in a bed of gravel and sitting on a block of cement with sharp ridges on it. So any, anybody that goes to Tassajara has to really want to go there to get through this five days of Tangario. So I mentioned that we had uh, the ceremony that we had uh, marking the uh, the the end of Tangario and the beginning of the practice period, and that was the the last night of Tangario. And the next day we had a um, a beginning of opening of the practice period, which was really beautiful and where we all everybody oh I I didn't mention the numbers. Um, There were about thirty some people at this. at this practice period, which is very small, I think most of the practice periods there are twice that big, more like sixty people. Um, but that's uh, that's what COVID has has decimated uh, the numbers. Uh, and there were thirteen of us who were uh, Tangario students, which is a, a large percentage of the of the practitioners. So anyway, all, all thirty. in the next morning was the opening of practice period, and we started out. We went. Uh, Processed in twos and went down to the lowest altar of the valley, which is in the garden, and we lit incense and did chanting, and then we progressed to all the different altars, uh, all the main altars. There's altars everywhere, but we went to the main altars: the kitchen, the dining room, the bathhouse, and we ended up at the shop altar. And um, it was a beautiful day, and there was just so much promise, and I was just very high from from the ceremony. So so we started off with two ceremonies, and what I wanted to talk about next was um, ceremonies. Uh, There were just, um, the the whole experience at Tassajara was kind of a big ceremony. There were ceremonies all the time. Uh, The Dewanrio was six people. Uh, They were permanent members of the Dewanrio the whole three months, and um, their afternoons were spent practicing ceremonies and learning ceremonies. And most, much of the time, that's what they were doing. We had ceremonies that you all are familiar with, like the full moon ceremony. After Ruhatsu, we had the Buddha's enlightenment ceremony, which was especially exciting because of all this drumming that the the duanryo took turns, uh, stood around uh, two sides of a a Japanese drum and uh, added a huge, wonderful, excitement to that ceremony. Uh, we had opening and closing ceremonies. We had monk entering ceremonies. We had monk leading ceremonies. Uh, we, As we opened the practice period, we closed the practice period with a similar ceremony. And we had special ceremonies like the Suzuki Roshi Memorial in uh, the Kisanda, which I think is done once a year. That was a really, really beautiful ceremony. And people were asked uh, to uh, give uh, testimonials or give um, uh, give gratitude to uh, Suzuki Roshi, and some just and beautiful, beautiful tributes were, were given. And uh, we also had a fall equinox ceremony in the lower garden where everybody was invited to say something uh, that moved them about nature. And and we had shosan ceremonies. After the two first two sessions, we had uh, those Shosan ceremonies are the, the question and answer uh, ceremonies where Paul ans- Paul Heller answered uh, students' questions. You know the very formal ceremony where um, you know you ask your question and uh, Paul was is, uh, is wonderful at those ceremonies. He, he uh, invited Dharma combat and, and a lot of students were very feisty. They didn't just take an answer. They said, "Well, tell me more," or you know, "I'm not, I want I want to hear more," and then he uh he would there's sometimes it did actually turn into kind of a a dharma combat situation i looked up the word shosan which actually means dharma combat actually so uh, very very uh, uh, enlightening ceremonies Uh, i know the first time i went up to ask my question i didn't get to ask my question because he said oh pat after all these years of practicing have you been forgiven? (laughs) So I had to be spontaneous and and then suffer later on, like, oh, I don't think I did the right thing, or I don't think I said the right thing, and that kind of thing. So, uh, and then, oh, and then I haven't even mentioned the chuseau, as many of you know, the chuseau at this practice period was our own Tim Kroll. And, Tim had uh, the Shosan ceremony that was at the end of Rohatsu. Tim was Tim's uh, chance to uh, have a Shosan-like ceremony. And he was, he was wonderful. He was, uh, he gave a, a lot of very thoughtful answers. He took his time and, but not too much time. Sometimes I hear these ceremonies can go on for a long time if the teacher is very verbose, but uh, Tim wasn't, he, he gave uh, beautiful answers. and. Did us proud. But uh, my point in mentioning all these ceremonies is that you know it is a place of ceremonies. And besides all these uh public group ceremonies that the uh De led, there were lots of little private ceremonies going on. Every time we passed somebody, we, we did a Gasho bow. And um I don't know, this was just a very meaningful, it was very meaningful to be bowed to by and, and everybody you passed. And sometimes at night, you know, it was dark, I didn't even know who was bowing to me and who, who I was bowing to, but it didn't matter. And this kind of, you know, way we interacted with each other was very ceremonial. Uh, when you get to the bathhouse, and every day we had a bath period when we could go to the wonderful hot springs and, um, and relax a little bit. But on the outside of the, uh, the bathhouse is a bowing mat and an altar, and um, you bow to that before you go in. And it's especially nice if, if somebody else comes along and is entering at the same time you do, then you do the, the three bows together and then turn to each other and you, you do a little ceremony together, which is uh, uh, I found that to be very meaningful. And we ate warriorki meals every day. And warriorki itself is a ceremony, and it has lots of sub-ceremonies in it. And at Tassahara, they're especially wonderful. They uh, to clean their uh, their meal board. The meal board is the front of, of the tans that you sit on. So your your bowls are on the tong, and that's that's your basically your table. And to clean to clean the tons, uh, which are well, to clean the meal board, which is the eating space, there's a ceremony of um, two monks hold the soku, and and one of the servers will hold a towel, and they they run the length of the ton with the towel on the meal board, just kind of like you've seen uh, monks in Japanese monasteries when they're cleaning the floor. You know, they'll be bent over and they run the length of the room. That's what they did and it was it was uh, i thought when i first saw that i thought oh no there's no way i can do that i just can't but i did get to do it several times and uh, i did i could do it i could run and and not not fall down or run into the person at the end of the of the ton um uh, anyway it was a a very uh um I don't know, picturesque kind of a ceremony. But the 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 Soku before they ran the meal boards, they would bow to each other. And then another very stirring ceremony from uh, from that's part of Oriyoki is that when you know any of you here who have been to Sichens and you know are have have eaten Oriyoki know that it's very the 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 uh, offering of the votive the the food offering to the Buddha is is very important part of it and is made more important there because uh, one of the members of the serving crew will serve as a drummer and do a very exciting drumming so when the soku who's uh, holding the holding the offering gets to the end of the mat the drummer hits a bonk and then starts this really exciting tattoo and as the a uh, person walks to the altar, you know, the drumming is going on. And then as the soku raises the uh, offering up, the drumming gets really loud and then it softens down again. And, yeah, so it's a, it's a, a very uh, stirring, stirring thing to get your juices flowing and you're you know, ready to eat oryoki. So, you know, these, all these ceremonial things are, are happening all the time. And then if you, if you also add to the ceremonial aspects the idea that zazen is also a ceremony, that zazen is um, us taking the shape of a Buddha and sitting in the physical embodiment of the Buddha and um, honoring uh, our own Buddha nature, that makes that a ceremony too. I, I'm going to quote Norman uh, on a few things that he says about Zazen that I think kind of further this, this that I'm saying. It's not that we practice, this is, this is Norman speaking. It's not that we practice now in order to become enlightened later. Rather, because we have always been enlightened, we must practice. And our practice is the expression of that enlightenment that is, the endless, that is endless and beginningless. And again, he also, another quote, he says, we're not so much trying to calm down or improve as to give ourselves to the holiness that has always been at the center of our lives. And another one, every moment of our lives is a timeless, timeless, crucial moment. So with this, you know, this just constant ceremonial nature of the place, it's no wonder that when I got home, and non-friends of mine that aren't don't practice and don't really know much about Zen would say to me, "Well, what'd you do there? What'd you do?" And I found myself not really able to answer, uh, and uh, until I started putting this together and and reading what Norman said that, you know, I was practicing ceremonies the whole time. I guess about the only time of our day where I can't really stretch it too much into saying it was ceremony was the work, work periods where most of our afternoons were spent working except during session. And maybe that wasn't so ceremonial, but everything else was a ceremony. And um, yeah, because I, I think, wow, I was tired. I was always tired. Every time I got near a bed, I would fall asleep. What was I tired from? <laughs> So, um, yeah. And I and I want to read an especially meaningful thing that Norman said that really helped uh, clarify the meaning of ceremony in a monastery. So this is what he. This is a little bit longer. He said, "We need some concrete form of everyday spiritual practice that we can be committed to. By spiritual practice, I mean activities that we actually do that we take the time to do." activities that are in a rational sense useless that are done merely for their own sake with no other goal or object activities that are done with devotion and dedication to something larger than ourselves and as much as possible without self-interest i just love that and it's just sort of really helped things fall into place for me because i must confess that ever since i've been practicing zen which is a long time I have been a naysayer about ceremonies. Oh, I probably would've gotten ordained except that I didn't like ceremonies. And I knew if I were ordained, I was gonna have to do ceremonies all the time. But I came away from this with this, just, I get it. I get it now. I'm a slow learner. I'm 75 and I get it. Something I've been practicing this long and I finally get it, yes. So that's one of the lessons I learned, ceremony. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is community, because obviously when you go to a place like this, you are living in community, and living in community is not something I've done. Living in community is something I've always avoided, because I knew if I were living in community, I'd have to expose myself. And um, that was not something I felt I could do. I felt too flawed. You know. I didn't want people to see my flaws. You can't hide those kind of things when you're in this kind of a cauldron, you know. You're rubbing up against people all the time, and there's only 30 people. So I don't think there was a person there that I didn't see. Well, of course, I saw every day. If I didn't see them in the Zen, more than just seeing them in the Zendo, I would see them walk by, or, you know. So there's no secrets. Everything is open. Oh, I do. Okay, here's another quote from Norman. The monastic life honors a rule whose essence is simple. Always think of others and always act with others in mind, for we have no life without others. So everything is open, and the work circle, and, and I think many of you have been involved in work circles at Tassajara if you've been to Sangha Week, and we're there for other, other reasons, some of you. The work circle is kind of the... I don't know kind of the nexus of, um, of this openness um it's never rushed uh it's the time when announcements are made you know the eno will tell us what the next ceremony is and when we have to be there what we have to wear and maybe some of the things that we have to do the tonto will give us little hand slaps about what what we need to clean up like one time she said People are walking around not in shasha. They're swinging their arms. Okay, so straighten up and fly right. Or not everybody's bought, a, 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 not everybody has supplied a book cover for their study books. So please take care of that. You know, so we got admonishments. Always very kind. Everything was very kind, and uh, so those kind of things happened at work circle. Of course, there was lost and found. People would say what they'd lost, and some nearly always somebody knew where it was. But it was also a time where people were encouraged to express themselves. Uh, if somebody had something on their mind or uh, just uh, something they felt very deeply about, they were welcome to talk a little bit about it. Um, uh, one time, uh, one of the Dewanrio members was gonna be Kokyo the next day, and he'd never been Kokyo, and he was really nervous about it, and he asked everybody for, to support him. And um, another time, a, a vegan, uh, Gave a little tiny talk about veganism and then how um, how it's probably the best way to save the planet. And um, you know, it was wasn't very long, but it was very useful to hear those kind of things. Somebody read a poem one day that they or wrote, that they'd written. Uh, the librarian would maybe recommend a book that he had just uh, found out about. And uh, uh, so you know, it was a it was a great time for sharing. Um, and, or people would talk about, um, you know, a problem maybe they had several people talked about being hard of hearing. I'm very hard of hearing, and I did not speak up. Uh, this happened near the beginning, and I was always sorry I had not said anything, because uh, I was always asking people, what did you say? What? What was that? <laughs> Having to get seated in special spots in the zendo so that I could hear uh, and that kind of thing. But. Uh, it took me a little while to get into the, this openness thing and learning to be uh, more just out there and and of course the the uh, attitude there is so um, open and loving that it's it's easy it's it's a lot easier to be open than it is in 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 regular life. So like all monasteries, uh, your there's a, a kind of a silent discouragement of going off into hiding or like pulling out in your room and reading or just doing your own thing for one thing the rooms are cold uh, and there's not a lot of comfortable furniture in there and they're small now Tassajara of course I think is much more luxurious than many monasteries because it has its uh guest season and has to have nice accommodations for for people that Aren't necessarily practitioners that come there, so there are a lot of really uh, nice rooms. Some of them even have wood burning fi- uh, fireplaces in them. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I was stayed in the dorm, which had small rooms, and we were supposed that we were supposed to be heated, but the heat was kind of iffy. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, it was never completely warm. So. Uh, it, it, Pushed you out into the more public spaces like the dining room, and where you could sit and talk with people, or just go off in the corner and read. But at least you were out there in the open. Okay, and then of course, well, what do you learn by rubbing up against thirty people every day? Uh, it's like you kind know, of like being in a test tube for your life because um, I learned I learned a lot. I mean, I. Would, it's not that I didn't know these things, but I could really see my projections, I could see my judgments and the stories that I made up about myself, and I could see their, their falseness because, well, just for an example, one of my favorite stories that I've been telling myself all my life is that, well, people don't like me, you know, I'm uh, right, I'm, there's something wrong with me, people don't like me, so, you know, maybe I pass somebody and they forget to bow to me and maybe they have a scowl on their face and of course my story goes oh they don't like me and then maybe two hours later that same person passes me and stops me and engages me in this most wonderful conversation. So I think oh they like me I mean you know those little stories just fall apart when you're you know around um, all those people and it's just it's just I don't know. It's just the kind of learning experience you can't really get anywhere else, I don't think. Um, and another aspect, too, of that is way seeking mind talks. You know, just like we give way seeking mind talks here in our uh, practice periods, all of the, the uh, Tangario students have to give, well, no, they don't have to, but they're deeply encouraged to give a way seeking mind talk. And wow, wow, they were so powerful uh, you know, some, some, some people's Way Seeking Mind talks were funny. For some reason, my, my Way Seeking Mind talk was funny. Everybody laughed and laughed and they say like, Hey, this is my life. And you're laughing, but I guess, you know, I like it. I enjoyed it. And, um, uh, and some people's were very tragic. And some people cried, uh, during their Way Seeking Mind talk. I mean, really cried and, um, You know, some people, and there was a certain amount of of abuse that was revealed or or careless parenting. And it was very um, telling to be with people on a day-to-day basis when you knew a little bit about their upbringing and the the trials that they suffered and how that plays out in our lives. So, yeah. Yeah. So community was, was powerful. And I'll, and I'll close this section on community by another quote from Norman. For monastic life is fundamentally a life of participation with everything and of kindness. Monastic renunciation is, in essence, letting go of the self-centered life. And the other, another thing I want to mention is continuity, and this has to do with the functioning of uh, the monastery, which has been going on for about 50 years. Um, from what Mako told me, I think you're here, aren't you, Mako? I thought I saw you a little bit ago. Oh, there you are. Yes, yeah, so glad that you're Sitting up, it's great to, to see you here. But apparently, uh, back when uh, Tassahara started up as a monastery, uh, Suzuki Roshi brought in a um, uh, an expert, a, a monk, uh, maybe an abbot. I'm not sure who he was uh, to uh, design the the workflow, to design the way the monastery functioned, and um, and a lot of that functioning is still there, and probably most of it. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a very complicated flow of work, the jobs are all interconnected and assigned and tracked mostly by the, you know, we were given, especially as Tongario students, there were certain jobs that were given to Tongario students, and you just did it for a day. And then another one would do it the next day, and then maybe your turn would come again, you know, later. So, um, but the jo- and you know ev- the jobs are all interconnected and they're all assigned and they're tracked mostly by the Eno. They even keep a spreadsheet of everybody's jobs. So the function and the fu- and what's so great about it is just to see how lovingly uh, all of this is maintained and all how all of these jobs are are so uh, carefully done by by everybody and you know. Uh, so many of the people that go to Tasahara go there on a continuous basis and, and, and come back practice period after practice period, maybe for a number of years. And, um, and some people just come, I guess, once in a while. But um, so there's this, there's this, um, um, this, this con- continuity and this love that, that people put into uh, uh, fo- following the uh, routine. Every, every, every job has a, pers- a purpose, and every bells are rung at certain times, and multiple months depend on their ringing. A server bows from the ngawa, and the umpon player begins playing. The soko bows at the end of the bowing mat, and the server drummer begins his drumming. The bell rings for the end of study period, and the work leader comes out to the courtyard to assign tasks. If you miss your cue, others are confused. Now, I missed my cue one day. I was uh, what they call the chicky dough, and I was supposed to ring various bells, and I was supposed to ring the bell to start the study period and to end the study period. And during the study period, I couldn't quite remember whether I was supposed to ring it at 10 minutes before the end or five minutes before the end. And it would have been easy to ask somebody, but I guess not wanting to look like I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't ask anybody, and I didn't run up to my room and get and look at the schedule. And I just sort of said, all right, I'm going to ring it 10 minutes. I, it probably doesn't make any difference. I'll ring it 10 minutes before. And then I found out that um, that I had really messed up the work leader because he's supposed to have all the jobs in line that he's going to assign to people at the end. And I rang the bell too early and he wasn't ready. So he probably felt a little embarrassed and, you know, and I put him in a bad place. Um, So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a little example, but I learned a lot from that, you know, how important it is to be precise and, you know, not just uh, do what you think is supposed to be done. I will say that I didn't actually learn that because anybody told me. I only accidentally overheard the work leader and someone else talking about how he got pushed into the fight, and I... And uh, I kind of, I kind of wish that somebody would have told me because I might not have heard that and I might not have learned that lesson. Um, but Tasa con- in very, in great contrariness to my Rinzai, I did spend six weeks at a, a Rinzai practice period also, so I have a little, it's, it's very much into you learning on your own. You're not, not really uh, called, called down too often. Or corrected it's more like you learn it on your own you learn what what you've done wrong, Uh, but this time it would have been helpful to have been told that that i would made a mistake, but. uh, I don't know it seems to work, it seems to work beautifully and it's very different from Rinzai, who doesn't mind calling you down for anything (laughs) so um, they're calling you out, I guess, is the word I could be using. So uh, yeah, so I did want to mention that because uh, that that the monastery functioning is just so beautiful. I think uh, Mako said it's like a well-oiled machine. Uh, and that is true. One of the things that, that was so uh, beautiful to see here was the creativity that comes out of people at a practice period. It's amazing that when you don't have all your, uh, your karmic things to distract you and you know your your beautiful expressions come come out. In the middle of the practice period, we had stunt night. Now, I've always heard about stunt night, and uh, I always assumed it was just something made up by Western Zen practitioners because they needed some entertainment during the middle of you know the practice period, but. Uh, somebody did a little research, and in, in the work circle, they uh, talked about how uh, it, it's an ancient tradition, and Japanese monks uh, had practice, all Japanese monasteries had practice periods also. They said that in those practice periods, and there were no women, so a lot of times the monks would dress up like women and, and do their, their performances that way. Uh, we didn't have anybody that did cross-dressing, I guess, because we had plenty of women there, but... Um, the the stunt night was absolutely amazing i i just i i just you know a lot of people participated you didn't have to participate a lot of people did and i mean funny serious beautiful one person one person did um uh improvised dance and he had people ask him questions you would like you were at a show some ceremony and he would say what well, yeah the way you you asked me is you addressed me as Otisan, Otisan." that was his 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 dance name and you would you would ask him a question and i know i somebody asked him why is there life I, I know i asked him what is the why is there why is there life why is there just not nothingness and he just i still remember his dance he kind of he um, improvised a plant growing and just uh, all this stuff arising. It was, it was so beautiful. And um, the one person read uh, little haikus that she had written every day uh, at, 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 every day during Sishin. We just got finished with Sishin and she'd written a haiku every day about her experience and she read her haikus and um, people read their own poems. Um, people saying. We had a really good pianist there, jazz pianist there, who actually had a keyboard, even though instruments are not allowed, musical instruments are not allowed uh, for stunt night, they apparently are. And um, so uh, he was able to uh, play and uh, accompany some people who sang. And I don't know, it it was just, it was just incredible. And uh, yeah, so, uh, I will, uh, I'm going to close by I wanted to read, uh, we got a, 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 a email not too long ago few last week I think from Paul Haller who led the practice period, and he sent us a picture a picture of all of us. And uh, he sent a, a group poem that uh, everybody was invited to submit uh, a stanza in a stanza in this poem, and the poem was. Uh, based on a Gary Snyder poem in the poem is called The Prayer for the Kinship of All Beings. And so there's this thing has, this poem is gorgeous and it has about about 21 um, somewhere, some 20 something verses. So of course I'm not gonna read them all, but I'm gonna read the first one and the last two because uh, it's kind of a sample of the kind of creativity that came out of individuals in the uh, practice period. And I think I'll read all of, Paul's note. So he had, a, he had a picture and he said, here's a picture of the dedicated in, intensity of the practice period culminating in the energy, energy of the head monk ceremony. Somehow this photo of us huddled in a group reminds me of the intimacy of practicing together. What did we learn? How were we changed? What of all that has become embodied? Even though some of all that is likely to remain a mystery, Hopefully, its consequence will support our lives and help us to support others. In our hearts and minds, may it be so. Thank you for your sincere and heartfelt practice. I feel privileged to have been the Hojo-san. May this new year bring your joy and gratitude for life. Hojo-san is the nickname that's always given to the abbot. And, can, and then I wanna read a couple of stanzas from this beautiful poem that was written by all, like a group written poem. gratitude to this floating world spinning through night and day and wobbling through the seasons sacred ground so generous to all life in our minds and beating hearts so be it And the second to the last stanza was gratitude to emptiness the silence between sounds the spaces between molecules the stillness between movements the end of the out breath before the new air arrives The calm below the surface of even the most chaotic moments, so be it. And the last one, gratitude to so be it, for she is where practice begins. Giving voice to shyness within, boundless is the mind of so be it. The so be it came from Gary Snyder's poem. So that kind of wraps up what I wanted to say. I mean, there's so many more things I could say, I guess, but uh, I'll I'll just open. If anybody has any questions, uh, uh, I'm I'm ready to hear them. should yeah, shoot. Just, just hey. wanted
0: to say thank you. It was such a joy to to share that experience, to to have you relay that with us. Um, the 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 light you take in the different experiences, painful and not in 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 um in good, it just it just um, it's incredible to share with you. Thank you so much for that.
1: Hi,
2: Pat. Hi. Hey, JS. Hi. Um, sure. I've got a question It's beautiful, beautiful storytelling. Thank you for sharing your experience and giving us all a little taste. Um, so I was actually really curious and intrigued um, when you said that, that one of the reasons you wanted to go there was to dive deeper into Soto Zen. And um, you mentioned one aspect that you noticed, which is like the less direct telling and kind of like allowing the space to learn the lesson yourself. But was there anything else that you noticed
1: uh, you mean, uh, you mean about specific to Soto Zen? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I learned, I learned a lot through reading. We had a study period every day, which I loved. I love study period. And, uh, so I read a lot and, uh, I, I read, uh, a scholarly book that was about Dogen. And he talked about, you know, um, this is kind of interesting, uh, Dogen didn't like uh, the Rinzai practice very much. Um, very much, he didn't like it at all, and he criticized uh, the Rinzai practice because he felt that the Rin, uh, Rinzai uh, did not uh, give proper respect to the mind. That they, everything was about getting enlightened. and You were supposed to not think, and you were supposed to just, you know, let everything well up from your being, and you were supposed to, as much as possible, get rid of thought and uh, and uh, Dogen did not think that way at all. Dogen is absolutely fascinated by how the mind works, and uh, his his practice is more of a um, just sitting there before life and honoring all all life and all of the you know miracles that we live in, including the miracle of the mind and that kind of thing. So that was that was one thing that I thought was very interesting. Oh, oh, yeah, Eric. Uh, is that is that Jess? Is that? Yeah. Yes. No, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. So Eric.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I have a couple questions. One is, did you find age a limitation there? Were you Were there's older oh, people? There?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> there were a lot of things I couldn't do. And that was kind of it was but there were things I could do, so it wasn't, in a sense, a limitation, except that I was sort of sad that I couldn't do uh, things that younger people could do. I had I, I served for a little while, but I had to quit serving because it was just too hard on my back. And I couldn't even do it right because I couldn't get down on my knees to, you know, with a heavy pot. I couldn't do that, so I had to stand, which they let me do because they were so short on servers that that they let me go ahead and stand. but. And then it just hurt my back too much and I had to quit. And I love serving, so I couldn't do that. Um, most jobs, I, I, I worked in the kitchen every day as a prep cook, which was well within my abilities, my physical abilities. And yeah, uh, but you know, as far as sitting goes, no, I was, uh, I, I didn't have any problem in the zendo, and, um, uh And I always, <laughs> I always had to keep, you know, being 75, I get, I get, I tend to get a little confused and sometimes I don't hear people and sometimes I'm, I know. So I had to struggle all the time to try to stay on top of things and not, even though you're not supposed to hide things, I didn't want to let people know that I didn't. Maybe it took me a little bit longer to understand what was going on than other people. But again, that was not so much a limitation. It was actually good for me, I think, to, to be in that mode. But yeah, as far as work goes, yeah, I guess i
0: were you the oldest person there?
1: I was the second oldest.
0: Okay, so how
1: 78 year old man there.
0: Okay, and then also, I, I just the other question I had was do you still have a preference for Rinzai Zen over Soto Zen?
1: Well, I still love Rinzai, I still find that training was very, very, very valuable for me, but I don't know, I can't say it's a preference, but now I, I feel a lot more in 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 sync with this practice and that feels good but you know both practices have something to offer thank you
0: thank you very much.
1: thanks for the questions yeah well oh david david did you have your hand up
0: hi pat can you hear me yes okay great pat thank you so much that was just lovely it were just went straight to my heart all of it and i just feel warm and i just the one word that just kept coming to me was beautiful 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 so thank you so much for sharing that
1: well thank you and
0: um again another great example that i often experience with this sangha i experienced with the sangha who was able to participate in the last um rahatsu i think is the word the, the last long session session but I mean you you go and have these experiences and then you share with us and and we benefit and i benefit and i'm so grateful for that so thank you so much well,
1: thank um you. i'm glad i had the opportunity yeah it helped it helped me put things together a lot you
0: know and um you just have me thinking so much about ceremony and ritual and um a question i have that may be worthy of conversation now maybe more just food for thought. I am very curious for you and for others that have experienced long uh, periods of ceremonial living. What did you experience when you left that? When you Ah. went into the real world, because you know um and were you able to find ceremony um did you feel the need to find ceremony were you relieved you didn't have ceremony in every (laughs) moment anyways that's really where my my brain is right now um and um really inspired by your discussion and and talking about your experience of being in ceremony so thank you
1: wow another good question yeah um Um, ceremony, I, well, I'm much more open to ceremony and I, I mean, I guess the, the secret is if you can see that every moment of your life is kind of a ceremony, you know, but I'm, I mean, I can't say that I'm, I'm doing that, but, uh. That would be uh, an aspiration. I I, I will say that the one tangible thing that I see right now that I'm doing differently from from this is that because I love study period so much that and I am sitting every single day, which I frequently didn't do in the past. So whether I come to the Zen center or sit at home, I'm sitting every day and, and as much as possible, first thing in the morning. And then after that, I'm doing an hour of study period. And sometimes I even go longer than that and do it until noon. Now I can do that because I'm, I live alone and I don't work anymore. So, you know, I can, I can kind of do that. Not everybody has that kind of time, but I'm really loving it. And I, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I, I think it will last. And uh, it's making a difference in my days, but uh, yeah, so thanks. Okay, well, uh, unless there's, if there's nobody else, I I, I I can't see you if you don't. Let's see, put your hand up, but I don't, because I only got, there's two screens. But uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, I guess it's time to do our, our final chant. Thank you for uh, your questions. They were great, and your comments too, and your thank yous. Oh.
2: Here's Mako. Hi, Pat. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you, thank you so much for your your talk. And I, I just um, I wanted to share that um, the uh, for those of you who did the Rohatsu Sashin here at Austin Zen Center this past uh, last month, um, Kokyo gave a number of talks about monasticism. And one of the talks that he gave, I think it was day two, of Rohatsu, which I think is not yet on the website, but will be at some point. Um, he spoke specifically about the state of monasticism in the world today, in particular of Zen monasticism in Japan. And uh, and then how that also has impacted not just impacted, but the not just monasticism within a Japanese Soto Zen context. But uh, throughout the world, and so I just wanted to when that when that um, when Kokio's Dharma talk becomes available, it makes a very amazing. Uh, uh, sorry, my brain is not working. <laughs> it complements very well what your your talk um, today, and just in terms of the the feeling of appreciation and love that poured out of you today as you speak. And as so many people have pointed out, just this ineffability, like talking about ceremonies and, you know, from your own perspective, like, oh, ceremony, you know, like <laughs> ceremonies, right. And and very much, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a very common um, way to think about ceremonies is like, well, what's the point? Um, but something about the lived experience of bringing it into your into your daily life and having it be something that's not necessarily anything special, and yet through putting your body and mind into it over and over again, something emerges and and so your talk was very beautiful in expressing that and and directly you know getting a, a view into your experience, um, but I also just wanted to highlight the uh the rapid decline in the world of places that are even available to go and do practice period in this way uh, so thank you just really from the depth of my heart to to hear your experience and the fact that when you said you were going to go to tasahara really uh you know as you know my my first ex you know <laughs> expression was just like yay you know so um Thank you so much for doing it, and you have been just the people at Tassahara. I think I've mentioned this when I spoke about you after going to Tassahara. But the people there just absolutely, like you, you made a huge impact on the lives of of the, the your fellow monks. Uh, I heard in public and private conversations um, just how deeply they were touched by your practice. Um, so I, I must say that it was. Uh, uh, a big benefit all around for for everyone. And um, and yeah, thank you. It's so good to have you back. And I'm sorry we are not spending time together <laughs> right now uh, for, for many factors, uh, you know, sickness and uh, and just uh, Austin's COVID numbers right now. But hopefully we can get back in there together, do some ceremonies.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Magon. I'm so glad you're
2: feeling well enough to be here and that you listen right a little bit better a little bit better day by day
1: oh, oh good because for a while you said it was like every day was the same and yeah, so no. yeah, getting better oh yay yay oh okay yeah well pretty, what you were saying about me influencing people there was this really young, beautiful woman there, and she said something to me. She was also a Tongariyo student. She said something to me after Tongario. She said, I just had to keep going. I said, if Pat can do it, I can do it. And I had to think, what? What, what does it have to do with her? I can do it. Until I said, oh, oh, it's because I'm old, right? And she said, yes, yeah, because you're old. <laughs> but not the oldest. <laughs> right. I had Meryl to save me from that. <laughs> yeah i'm older than paul Haller too so (laughs) thank you thank you again for your beautiful words so thanks for coming and uh we'll see you in the online zendo this coming week